you know, I came along and I'm like, okay, guys, so we're going to make our delivery areas smaller and then we're going to deliver 30% faster and then our sales are going to go up by 25%. And they're all just like, shit, that ain't going to happen. No, that ain't going to happen. <laughs> The following is for information purposes only and should not be used as the basis of an investment decision. This is not investment advice. This episode is made possible by Progressive Equity Research, providing freely available, engaging investment research and opportunities to hear from a wide range of small and mid-cap UK listed companies. For this episode, I'm joined by Gareth Evans, the founder and CEO of Progressive Equity Research, for a conversation with Niels Gornom, the CEO of DP Poland and a veteran Domino's Pizza operator. Niels started as a pizza maker at the age of just 15 and opened his first franchise store in Perth, Western Australia, just before his 22nd birthday. Niels has pizza in his blood and gives us a masterclass in what makes a delivered pizza shop work and how to develop a winning culture. From Australia to Croatia via Canada, Nils now operates AIM-listed DP Poland from Warsaw. He's quite the epitome of the Aussie traveller. In this episode, we learn how operating a pizza shop is like running a sports team and how wowing customers with pizza delivered in under 25 minutes involves better in-store metrics, not high-speed moped drivers. As Neil says, the race is in the store, not on the road. Stephen Hemsley of Franchise Brands, formerly CEO of Domino's Pizza in the UK, said in episode 11, opening Domino's successfully in new markets requires proven operators. And Nils fits the bill perfectly. Please enjoy our conversation with the maverick, Nils Gornall. Nils, hi. Thanks for joining us today. I'd like to start just by asking you about your background, how you got involved in the pizza business, and what it is that's made you so passionate about the Domino's business model that you've been involved in all these years. I started when I was 15, so I must love it because I've done it my whole life. So I've never had another job. Domino's is all I've ever done. So I'm big into sport. I love sport. I love watching sport, love playing sport. And, you know, it might surprise people, but working in a Domino's store and you have a lot of staff all for one common goal. And it really is, you know, similar to being part of a winning sports team, I suppose. You know, you've got one goal. We're all trying to achieve it. And at the end of the night, when uh, all the pizzas are in the oven, then you've had a win. You know, when I finished high school, I uh, was going to university and I was a manager for Domino's as well. And I just saw the writing on the wall. I mean, I saw the franchisees driving their nice cars to their nice houses. And I knew that I was making them all the money and I was doing all the work. So uh, all of a sudden, I was desperate to be a franchisee. That's all I wanted to do. So that was my passion. That's what I worked everything towards. So I saved all my money for. I wanted to be a Domino's franchisee. When did you first take the plunge then to own your own franchise? I've always been, you know, like an entrepreneur my whole life. You know, when I was quite young, you know, with my first Domino's check, so I wasn't spending it on nice things I was putting into shares. I bought the uh, Telstra IPO shares when I was 15. So I've always sort of been that type of character. And then when I was 
19, I uh, bought a house. So back then in, in Australia, you could buy a house for under $100,000. I remember the mortgage repayments was $150 a week. And so I had three of my mates living in the house. We all paid $50 a week rent. And I was actually paying $200 off my mortgage and minimum rate was 150 So little things like that. And I suppose I was just lucky. A few years later, I bought my first store. I opened it on my 20, it was a week before on my 22nd birthday. And I just happened to have this house for a couple of years. It had gone up by you know, 20%, $20,000 and uh, put that straight into the pizza store and, and away we go. That's a hell of a step. Did it feel that way to you or was it just the thing to do? It was just the thing to do. I think it scared my family because I pulled out of university. I was doing a Bachelor of Commerce and uh, it got to that stage where I knew exactly what I wanted to do and that was direction. So I quit university and uh, went full on for uh, Domino's Pizza and my father was definitely concerned. (laughs) But, you know, he supported me the whole way through and, yeah, it worked out pretty good. Absolutely. So tell us about the journey from that store to where you are today in Warsaw via Croatia. Just fill in some of the blanks. I've always been up for challenges. So that one store there, I sold that store nine months later. So we built it up. It became um, one of the busiest stores in the western of Australia. And I sold it for three times what I built it for in nine months. Was it a new build or you'd bought it? It, it, was, a br- it was a brand, so brand new shop. Okay. Yeah, it was a brand okay. new shop just outside of Perth in Western Australia. I sold that store to the corporate and uh, they sent me to a regional town where there was three Domino stores. One was doing rather well, one was just breaking even and one was losing money. And so, you know, I'm, I'm only young in business and so they came to me and went, look, now you can own three stores. And I'm like, ooh, okay, this sounds good. So we sold that for a profit relocated and moved. It was a place called Cairns, where the Barrier Reef is in Australia. It was a very tough place to live. I remember flying there and going, oh, yeah, we'll take this deal. This is good. (laughs) Don't care how much it costs. (laughs) It was great. I work hard, but I also like to play hard as well. And in Cairns, when you've got so many tourists and holiday people and backpackers from all over the world, when you want to relax, you can. So it was really easy to jump in a car and drive up to Cape Tribulation or Port Douglas and have a few days relaxing in a resort. And so it was an amazing place to live. Uh, got to uh, learn how to scuba dive and spent way too many days on the reef. And it was just a really good time. We went there straight away, turned that market around. We doubled the sales in a couple of years. We built a four-store there. So we had four stores and then Domino's Pizza decided to float their business on the Australian Stock Exchange. So I had four stores. I converted them for a script of shares and joined the corporate company and became a uh, corporate guy for a short period of time running uh, Queensland as a corporate operations. So I did that for some time and then uh, back to franchising and then I was just full on with franchising. I ended up opening up another 20-odd stores mainly in Perth, Western Australia, and then we had six up in the Northern Territory as well. And from there to Croatia? So basically I had uh, 23 stores, sold the lot, moved to Canada, was trying to build or own some stores in Canada, and it just didn't quite work for us. We couldn't find the right deal. So basically for two years I found myself snowboarding in Canada. So that was another horrible, <laughs> horrible thing to do. But I worked pretty hard, so it was yeah. good to have a few years off and you know live in a new place and being Australian, you never get to live in snow, so it was kind of <laughs> nice. And then after two years, 
They decided we weren't going to be able to build a good Domino's business in Canada. They do very, very well. We just couldn't get enough stores. We can only get one or two, and that's what not what we're after. So Croatia it was. It was just opportunity. I happened to know a uh, Croatian who I thought would be rather good at this business as well. So we joined up with a local Croatian, moved to Croatia in 2019, and then we started the Croatian business. So boy, what an adventure it was. We had COVID. We started building a store and we had an earthquake. I think it was April 2020. It was actually the first day of COVID lockdown. It was the earthquake. So I remember we were all out there, woke up super early in the morning because the whole apartment was going sideways and run out to the main road and it was just disaster. So we run to the park because there's no big buildings around the park and it was first day of COVID. We're in lockdown. It was snowing and we had a massive earthquake. So it was quite the challenge. You know, we were halfway through building the Domino's store and then we had to stop because we couldn't go into the building. They had to replace the whole uh, ceiling on the building. So that was, yeah, stop building for a couple of months. So it had its challenges. We opened the Domino's store and we were wearing masks for the first year that we had the store. It was challenging. I mean, you know, generally when we open up a new franchise, We take our managers to the US, we put them into some Domino's US stores to really get that culture and that Domino's feeling. We couldn't do that. We couldn't send them to anywhere in Europe. So it was me. I was the only person that had worked for Domino's and we were about to open up an extremely busy store. So we had to do all of the training ourselves in Croatia, all that culture training, everything was just all done in Croatia. So it was a massive, massive job. And then we opened up and... Boy, it worked because we were extremely busy. So despite (laughs) those challenges, we're jumping forward, but the metrics of the Croatian stores, when I first read about you and what you'd done in Croatia from the perspective as someone who follows Domino's Pizza Poland as a listed company, you looked at those store metrics and it's, wow, how did you do that? Domino's Pizza Poland as a listed entity has had a difficult 10 years (laughs) of holding its head above water, Domino's Pizza Poland, for reasons I fully understand, was never run by someone who'd run a pizza shop. You were just what this business had been lacking since its inception. First of all, the Domino's brand obviously works. So, you know, there's 20,000 stores around the world. So the model works. So when you get the model right, there is no excuse why it shouldn't be successful. Croatia was successful because... I think we just did the right things. You know, we went in there and, you know, we made sure, first of all, that the menu was fantastic. The pizzas were great. We had a nice little Croatian slant to the menu as well. So we put their favourite pizzas, which are the Slavonska, which is only found in Croatia, you know. So we made sure that we put some Croatian favourites on top of our menu. Then we made sure that the store looked really, really good. So in Croatia, to have something this flash and new age looking, we really built it like a Starbucks type of thing. And we're making all of the pizzas right in front of all the customers. We basically put the kitchen in the middle and we wrapped seating all the way around. So we've got a lot of seating in this store and it's all wrapped around. And so wherever you're sitting, you can see us in action. So, you know, we just built a really good store. We did a good menu. We did a lot of community things. You know, the big important thing was to show that we're not a big 
American company coming into Zagreb and, you know, pushing everybody out of the market. You know, that's not who we are. You know, we're a Croatian company. We hire Croatian staff and we try and use as many ingredients as we can from Croatia. And we make sure we advertise that. All of our meats are from Croatia. All of our veggies are from Croatia. We use Croatian flour. You know, we really try to embrace the Croatian community. We were handing over big checks. We were donating to charities to sports teams and you know we did a lot of community stuff and I think that put us really in the right light for the customers. I think that was key. We gave good service from the start. We did crazy things like every customer that got a delivery over 30 minutes we would actually give them a call the next day, like literally give them a call on the phone and say, hey, you know, your, your pizza was delivered in over half an hour last night. We just want to make sure it was still hot. So little things like that, and then all of a sudden it just took off and the word around town just took off. Lines attract lines. I mean, we opened the store, we would have had 60 staff on. You know, we're selling over a 1,000 pizzas a day. So when someone driving past a new business and they see lines coming out the door, they want to find out what's going on. So, So, yeah, I just think we just did it right from the start. You know, that's all we really did was just go back to basics. So they were just missing the basics here. You know, as you said, they were just missing a Domino's guy who's seen it done before. It's not like I'm reinventing the wheel here. We're just doing the same thing, the same thing that works in six and a half thousand stores around the world. So it was back to basics. We came back, we improved our pizza quality, we put more cheese and more ingredients. You know, we looked at our systems and the layout of our stores and we changed things in our stores so that we could save minutes in the store. When I'm talking about delivering fast deliveries, it's not about speeding on the street. You know, the race is in the store, it's not on the roads. You know, we've cut eight minutes off our delivery time since I arrived and none of that's saved on the road. You know, it's all saved in the store from the way that we handle things, the store culture, focusing on KPIs, paying bonuses on getting certain times, creating competition within the store. So we've actually got a goal, you know, when you've got all these staff and they've got a goal to hit, then they do. They don't know what the goal is. They're not going to hit it. <laughs> well, it's, it's your teamwork analogy, your sporting analogy, but you were saying before I hit record you follow Formula One, so I'm glad from a road safety perspective. You're not into moped racing as well. That's, no, that's no, definitely, definitely not into moped racing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, look, in Croatia, we're actually e-bike 100% as well, so that's even better for the safety. So yeah. uh, they're just going slower as well. So Croatia's 100% e-bikes in Poland. We have a mixture of e-bikes, scooters and cars. You've talked about a number of the determinants of what makes a, a successful pizza shop there. In Poland, you're effectively just replicating what you've already built in Croatia. There's nothing specific to the market. There's nothing dramatically different because you've clearly got quite significantly better unit level performance in Croatia. So hopefully that will, over time, evolve into the the Poland stores as well. Is that a reasonable assumption? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, that's what we're expecting. That's what we're seeing. So the biggest question on investors' minds, and I suppose mine as well, is, you know, do the Polish eat pizza like all these other markets that you talk about and have worked in? So I think we've proved that, you know, we're running 25% up on the year before in sales. So we're just showing that if we do the right thing, the customers will come back and start buying Domino's. You know, you deliver a pizza in 15 minutes. As a customer, you're going to be happy. 
We want to wow the customer. You know, to wow the customer is getting a delivery in 10, 11, 12, 13, 14 minutes. You know, that's impressive. That's, wow, this is hot and how do they do that? You know, where if it's 45 minutes, generally the pizza is going to be pretty cold. The saying in Domino's is the customers get pretty hangry as the time goes on. So the customer's hangry, the pizza's cold. What sort of an experience is that? You know, so the biggest thing with restaurants in general is the leaking bucket restaurants and fast food and all these places you know we have so many customers coming in but you have so many dropping off so fix that leaking bucket and uh, your sales will keep on growing you made the analogy to running a sports team when you were running a unit or a small number of units you're now sitting above whatever it is a couple of hundred units managing through other people does the analogy still hold it is different from an office to the stores because generally in the stores, people are younger. So it's a different way to incentivize and motivate younger people rather than the office where it's more of a career. So in the stores, it is like a game. You know, I always say it's like taking uh, all your mates down to the park and you're kicking a ball around. You know, it's fun. But then you draw some lines around it and you put some goals and then you have someone stand there for a whistle and the whole thing changes. You know, now you're kicking the ball and trying to get into a goal and it's more fun. So in the store, that is really easy to achieve. In the office, obviously, it's different. So different things motivate different people. And this is more of a career, but it's still having big wins. You know, I mean, here in the office, uh, here in Poland, you know, there's smiles on a lot of people's faces because now they're part of a winning team and we just have so many wins and, you know, we write all of our goals up on the blackboard and we're updating that and so people can see what our goals are and exactly what we achieved the week before and the month before. You know, we're not hiding behind everything and I think that's really motivates people because they want to be part of a winning team. In that context, do you get much help from Domino's HQ in Chicago? I mean, clearly you get the brand and I suppose you get elements of help with technology or operational parts of the business, but do they help you with the concept or the methodology of running such a large team in any way? You know, sharing ideas is probably the biggest advantage, you know, because we've got 20,000 stores around the world and we've got one big market in the US, I think it's 6,500 stores. So when you have all your learning from 6,500 stores, there is a lot of learning to get. A lot of it is sharing ideas. You know, we're a data-driven company, so everything we do is A-B tested and we look at the results and then we make decisions on that. So, you know, because there's so many different outlets, yes, every country is a little bit different, but the learning from the US is massive. And the biggest things is technology, new technology that's obviously changing the game in our business, equipment as well. You know, we're always trying to make ovens that bake faster and uh, more efficient. So I'd say that's probably the simple answer is, is learning from other markets. In terms of competition, do you see the real competitors as being the other delivered pizza providers or is it more dine-in and other types of dine-in restaurants or is it really the supermarket pizzas that you're competing against? Which of those three would you say is the main area of competition? Honestly, the biggest competition is ourselves, to be honest. You know, in Poland, I've struggled. Jeremy said it for the last 10 years and it's true. And who's to blame? It's us, you know, it was our operations and it was our direction. So, you know, I really think that the biggest opportunity is within ourselves. We are not at that stage where we're worried about Pizza Hut or worried about anyone else. You know, if we're going to look at a competition, definitely aggregators are probably the biggest competition now. 
that have changed the game for us and created a lot of more people interested in eating at home. So it's certainly increased the whole category, but there is a lot more competition now. Now every restaurant delivers. They're starting to do groceries, including groceries as frozen pizza. So yes, you can now order on Walt or, or Uber a frozen pizza. And I suppose that is competition towards us. So the beauty is we do our own delivery. So we own all that data. You know, we've been doing deliveries forever. So, you know, we've got the most experience in deliveries. You know, all the aggregators are brand new at this. We've been doing this for a long, long, long time. So our systems and our computer equipment is all designed for delivering pizzas. So, you know, we still think we're the best in the industry. And because there's a lot more competition, you know, there is a big incentive for us to get that right because the delivery times and the ease of ordering is definitely going to be the winner overall. We definitely want to be the number one choice when it comes to delivery. And yeah, I think the egg grand is our biggest competition. So delivery times clearly a huge focus and you've talked about it a number of times already. Could you describe a little bit more about some of the detailed things that you're able to do to try and improve it. I mean, it was good to hear that you see the races being run in the store and not on the street. So what can you do in terms of operational detail in the store to try and improve that delivery time? Bottlenecks of delivering fast. I suppose the biggest common problem is trying to deliver too far. So there is obviously a scale of economy where you're going to delivered so far that the order is going to be unprofitable. So there has to be a limit of how far you can go. The longer the pizza's with the delivery driver, the colder it's getting. So I think that was the biggest mistake is trying to deliver everywhere you can and then not looking after your customers in the golden mile because I'm out here half an hour away trying to deliver a pizza and the poor customers that are right near my store don't quite understand why it's taking 45 minutes to get their order. So, you know, that's definitely the biggest problem. That's one reason why we can really have that advantage on aggregators because, as you can imagine, the aggregator drivers are delivering all over Warsaw where my delivery drivers are concentrating on a seven, eight-minute radius around that one store. The biggest one is staff. In a pizza store, we can turn on the tap and we can get sales coming through the door, but if you don't have enough staff to deliver it, then you're just kidding yourself. So, you know, that was what's really important to us is having enough delivery staff so that's paying them the right amount and just having that nice store culture when they come into the store. You know, they want to walk into a place that's full of smiles and friendly and welcoming and, you know, yes, it gets awfully cold here in Warsaw and, you know, as soon as the winter hits, you know, all the drivers, they get free food and free hot pizza and things like that. So, you know, we do a lot to really encourage and to keep our delivery drivers. The other bottleneck is the vehicles. You know, that was a big thing that I did when we came along. You know, we got rid of all the vehicles that didn't look good enough, were breaking down, unreliable. You have to have the right tools if you want to succeed. So, you know, that was the biggest thing. We went and redid our whole scooter fleet with all new bikes, we make sure that the box on the back is branded with Domino's branding. So now you can see Domino's guys flying all over Poland. You know, we brought e-bikes into the system as well and brand them up really good so that we're a riding billboard. So, you know, that was really important, having the right fleet. I think I spoke about it before, is having that right culture, having those goals and having that common goal and everybody knowing exactly what we're trying to achieve. 
we do a lot to make fast pizzas and you know as long as everyone has the right goal and you have that store culture we'll do whatever it takes to get that pizza in the oven in under two minutes then we do it so culture is one big thing the managers just knowing how important it is you know i came along and i'm like okay guys so we're going to make our delivery areas smaller and then we're going to deliver 30 percent faster and then our sales are going to go up by 25 percent and they're all just like, shit, that ain't going to happen. No, that ain't gonna happen. <laughs> but it did happen. And so now I think they can see that. So success drives success. So, so what, you, uh, what you're talking about is geographical density around your unit in terms of population density and working that dense area of chimney pots around your unit. I'm just going to be thinking, when there's snow on the ground and it's 10 degrees below in Warsaw, the product's degrading quicker Absolutely. than if Absolutely. you're in Zagreb or Cairns. Absolutely. And and you can see, like in the cities that we're dominant, in Warsaw and Bratislava, when you've got three dominoes around one pizza hut, you can see how much they struggle because we've got three of them with this small area and then they've got the one trying to do that whole area. So they just can't, you just, once you have that critical mass and you have a lot of stores, you just, it's hard to beat because if you're going to have a carrier, you're not going to walk past the dominoes to go to a pizza hut. It's just not going to happen. And then if you've got three dominoes delivering against one pizza hut, the chances are that you're going to get a hotter product and a faster delivery from us. So we're just going to get more sales. And that's why when people go, Oh my God, there's so many stores in such a small area. And it's because we are only delivering to a seven, eight minute radius around our store. That's why you can have a lot of them around. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think that's what a lot of people missed, including me, when the UK business was expanding. You know, how can it possibly be that so few chimney pots can serve one unit? And it just kept going. Exactly right. And haven't they just recently announced that they're doing more and they uh, want 100 stores or something in the next year? So, you know, people thought that was a critical mass and no, 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 let's increase the uh, the store count by another 10%, you know. <laughs> Technology in the business, I'd be interested to hear, you hear stories of people at sort of supermarkets planning their sandwich orders for a week based on the weather forecast and that, those sorts of things. I'm interested in some ways giving your comments about Domino's HQ and them helping you with the tech. How much can you use technology to do planning or to time your advertising or, or arrange your ordering in advance to try and optimize that side of things too? A lot. <laughs> a lot. It is amazing the trends of people. It's so predictable. It's amazing. And it changes with seasons. You know, we know in summer what time our peak starts and what time our peak ends. We know in winter that obviously comes a lot earlier because you have people that always eat at 7 o'clock and then you have people that eat on dark. In winter, they're all eating at roughly the same time, but in summer it gets spread out a lot more. So we understand the customer because we have data. I mean, we know exactly how many pizzas and how many deliveries we do down to the 15 minutes and then because we're a technology company, we know exactly how long on average it takes our drivers to do a delivery. So it is really easy to work out how many staff you need on one time to do the deliveries that you're predicting. It is amazing. When your schedule says you're going to have 10 deliveries and sell 36 pizzas, it is amazing, honestly, how often it's exactly what it says. It is uncanny. 
and then we just know as soon as it rains, we just know it's going to be 10% busier and it's going to be earlier, sooner. So, you know, we just know what works. And I think that's been one of the biggest turnarounds here in Poland because, you know, when I first got here, they were basically guesstimating. You know, it was, oh, I have a gut feel that I'm going to need five drivers on tonight. But actually, the numbers say you need 10 or you need three. So that was the biggest thing. So it took us six months to design a big scheduling system that's in every single store. And it's basically learning as time goes, as the longer it learns, the better data it's going to spit out. And it does actually our schedules. We just fill in the names now and change a few metrics. But it would tell us down to the 15 minutes exactly how many pizza makers we need, how many uh, order takers we need, how many service people we need, how many delivery drivers we need. So it's quite amazing, yeah. So it's the AI of delivered pizza. Absolutely. The key metric here is unit level profitability, which feels to me like it's a key tipping point for you because it just turns on optionality in the business you're running. In Australia, when I was 18, I said that all I wanted to do was to be a franchisee, and that's because I could see that they were making a lot of money. I saw franchisees that were slack making a lot of money. I saw franchisees that were go-getters owning four, five, six, 10, 15 stores. I just saw the store economics. I saw the cars they were driving. I saw, you know, that they were always out fishing with their big boats. So it needs to be a good opportunity. It needs to be an attractive opportunity. So the beauty here in Poland is when we get that right, you know, your average Domino's store profits, you know, you put that to Poland and you can earn a really good wage, you know, a couple of Domino's stores and, you know, you'll be on really good money. You know, you can just imagine here a young entrepreneur earning quarter of a million euro in Poland, you know, they're going to have a pretty good life. So, sure. you know, that's what we need to do. And, you know, we're going to have stores that are going to make that sort of money in one year. So it'll just be an attractive opportunity until we have that. Then we're just not going to have people flood into the business. So that is the key. When it's good, people want to invest. It's as simple but as that. Doesn't it also make your life less complicated? Because you got to manage franchisees rather than manage a bunch of managers. Absolutely. I mean, you know, when I first got here and we're looking at the P&Ls and we're losing money, it doesn't make anyone excited. You know, we're coming through, we're doing record sales and we're uh, increasing the uh, the sales, but we're still losing money. That's not motivating at all. It was just a process. Once the profits start coming in the stores, we can start doing a lot more. We can start pushing more into advertising. We can reinvest into our stores and make them look even better. We can go and pay our managers more and try and motivate them even more. So there's just so many more things that we can do as a company. And then we can attract people to buy these stores. You know, when you have managers and they're they're running a store and all of a sudden this store is making over 100,000 euro, then they're going to start to think, oh, maybe I should be buying one of these stores. Last week we had a big uh, meeting with our area managers and we were talking how lucky Domino's is because, you know, you work for Coca-Cola. You can't go and own a local Coca-Cola down the street. You can't go and work for Apple and open up your own little Apple outlet. So, you know, the good thing about our business is there is career opportunity and you can actually be an entrepreneur and own this business. So, you know, I think that's where the beauty is. You know, when the profits will be there, even I will want to buy these stores. So, <laughs> so you know, that's definitely where we're pushing it and that's secret to us to succeeding as well. 
is the objective to subfranchise all the stores you have, or is there a optimal mix? There's different models all over the world, to be honest. You know, you've got somewhere like India, uh, 100% corporate owned. They don't want to franchise any of them because the stores are just so profitable. They don't want to miss out on any profit. So, you know, India's 100%, and then you'll have other countries that are 100% franchised. And then there's countries that sit in the middle that's uh, half corporate, half franchise. So what's the best model? I mean, who I work for was a a 90% franchise model, 10% corporate model. So that's who I've worked with. Generally, when you have uh, a bigger franchisee model, you can grow stores faster because you'll have business owners as well as the corporate building stores. So as far as organic growth, generally it would be more of a franchise business that you're pushing. As you grow that base of sub-franchisees, clearly you'd hope that some of the more entrepreneurial or more successful store managers would step up and build their own groups of stores. Do you think you might also attract sub-franchisees from other Domino's locations around Europe looking to expand into Poland as well? Potentially. You know, I mean, most of our guys will come from within the business. You know, They certainly do make the best owners from Australia. You know, looking at all the, the best franchisees, they all started off in the stores. Even Don May, the uh, current CEO, he started off as a delivery driver. I started off making pizzas. You know, we all started off in the stores. So they make the best franchisees. As we build the culture here, as we grow our business and grow more stores, you know, the culture within our company will keep on growing. And yeah, they will definitely be the best franchisees. Franchisees from other Domino's markets or other QSR brands seem to be very strong franchisees as well. KFC and McDonald's, not like Domino's. Generally, you can't go and own one of these as the next step in your career. So, um, you know, you find a lot of the guys that have worked through the QSR business coming over to QSR that can franchise, and obviously we're one of those. So, so they make pretty good franchises as well. Yeah, no, that makes perfect sense. And obviously, given that sub-franchisee model in the UK, that's helped the UK business deliver something like a 25% EBITDA margin just because of the maths and the metrics. Is that something that you could aspire to in the Polish business or in DP Poland overall, including Croatia? We can always have goals. Absolutely. <laughs> we definitely see big things in Poland. I mean, it's a big economy. It's a booming economy and you can see the growth in the sky. You know, there's cranes everywhere. So, you know, we definitely feel there's big opportunity here. We, you know, we can see the sales start to come into the stores. So our average unit, we call it AWIS, uh, average weekly unit sales is catching other markets fast. So, you know, that's where we see the opportunity. So absolutely, you know, that's what our goals are. And then once we can um, do well in this market, you know, there's other markets in Europe as well, which are untouched and have opportunity as well. So there's always opportunity to grow outside of here as well. But Basically, you know, this is where we're concentrating on, you know, we need to build franchisees from within the Polish system and, you know, that's what we'll push out. So I forgot to mention we were talking about breeding franchisees and where they come from. So in Australia, I actually had five franchisees that came from within my stores that became franchisees. So that just sort of goes to show you how that speed of growth can really take off, you know, because I was just one franchisee and then five of my store managers became franchisees. Sort of an ecosystem. Exactly right. And then they went on to build more stores and who knows who else came through them as well. So, you know, that's how that breeding really, really works especially in my business in Australia, that's why people stayed and wanted to grow because they could see managers work all the way through the system 
and then they were a franchisee and now they're driving that nice car. Yeah. So that bred more managers and more people coming through the system. So, you know, that's really, really important for us, especially here in Poland. You know, we're going to set someone up to succeed because we need these people to succeed and we need them to breed that culture. And so everyone else in the store land goes, I want to be like that person. So that's really how you change the mindset. That's a really interesting observation. But to come back to your early analogy of the, your pizza shop is a football team, if you're managing a football team, you want goal scorers, you want star players, and you want to identify them early and bring them on and you know create a Maradona. That's hugely valuable. How early can you spot them? It's culture and that work ethic. So if you create a winning culture with strong work ethics, you know, I mean, none of these five guys that came through were watching their clock and knocking off after 40 hours. I mean, these guys are go-getters. Our whole company was go-getters, and that is the culture. So the people that aren't go-getters, they just don't make it through. So, you know, these people just come through and they're just going to be winners because they've succeeded because if they weren't prepared to put those hours in or to treat, you know, their staff like gold or just to be kind to everybody or just do the right thing with the customers, you know, uh, handle stress, you know, the biggest thing in a, in a domino store is, is handling the stress, you know. You're in the middle of the peak, things are going wrong, and it's how you can handle it. So, you know, the strong make it through. And so I think they're identifying themselves rather than us identifying them. You know, what I find is you'll have stores that breed people. So I remember in Perth, Western Australia, we had 50-odd stores, but it was funny. Most of the managers came out of one store. You know, it's really quite bizarre. And in Croatia, you know, we just opened up our fifth last week, but all the managers have come from one store, that first store that we owned. It's about that culture and expectations and winners either choose to accept it or they don't and they don't want to go through and share that big vision. You see that in sport as well though, don't you? I mean, football, rugby, cricket, I know cricket's your sport, but yeah, I see it in rugby that when you've got a team that's got the right culture, the average players become much better players. The ones that may on paper just be journeyman average players become superstars. They become internationals because they're playing in that type of cultural environment. Absolutely. Coming back to the business in where we are today, you've obviously come into DP Poland with your operational experience, the ability to grow via acquisition. I'm assuming it's probably not for now, but in the future, once you've got this business humming operationally at that tipping point, I'm presuming further opportunities to acquire will present themselves, won't they? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, generally in the QSR game, you know, generally there's the one big player and the second player. You know, you look at McDonald's and Burger King and things like that. You know, one of the issues in Poland here is that there is a lot of players, so it's very fragmented here. So a couple of companies joining together would certainly make sense. There's a lot of synergies. We're all out there achieving the same thing so when you bring companies together we still have to make their dough we've still got to deliver all of their ingredients there's a lot of synergies 
that you can put them together. I think the biggest one is the advertising because obviously when Dominion and Domino's merge together, it doubled their advertising spend and that's what breaks through. So, you know, here in Poland would love to be on TV, but, you know, we can't be on TV because we would be advertising to people that don't have a Domino's in their local city or town. So I think that's the biggest advantage is having that marketing spend. And I spoke about it before, having three Domino's around one Pizza Hut, it's going to be hard to go past the Domino's to go to a Pizza Hut. So it just gives you that opportunity. It's uh, faster than organic growth. So it's something that every business looks into. But as you say, you know, you can't uh, take someone out if it's full of headaches. So, you know, we're always looking. It's worked in other Domino's markets around the world. I mean, our neighbours in Germany, I believe, did two acquisitions in their store count of 400 plus. So uh, look, it definitely works. I think the French business uh, did acquisition as well. As you said, Poland did one a few years ago. So it certainly works in the pizza game. So yeah, if something comes along, we're uh, certainly out there looking at it. You've clearly got a huge amount of operational experience within the Domino's business at large, but this is the first time that you've actually run a quoted company. Could you, you talk through what you've seen as the main learnings from that experience or the main challenges that you've faced running a, a listed business? Yeah, look, I suppose the extra staff uh, levels has been fine. So managing the office, even in Polish rather than English, has been no problems at all. I think the mm-hmm. biggest challenge for me has been the investor relations, you know, the compliance and all the different laws around it. So that was all new to me. You know, we've got a strong board. So they can help us with being compliant with the stock market and how all of that works. It's having to talk to people like you and me, Gareth. That's, that's <laughs> the challenge. I was, I was just going to say, if, if you look after the business the way it sounds like you are, everything else should look after itself over time. So, Absolutely. so yeah. The operations is easy. Living in a different country that doesn't um, speak English as first language, I don't know. I find it. I find it okay. I honestly haven't had problems. And, uh, you know, I mean, in the office, I think people really enjoy working here that it's an English-speaking office. You know, we speak in English. I'm sure when I'm not there, they're speaking in Polish. But, you know, we all speak in English. In the coffee room, we speak in English. You know, for the leadership team, we pay for them to have English lessons. It's an active part of it, and they're so proud and happy. You know, we're just having a conversation with the second in charge here, and he's just so proud of how far his English has come in the past 18 months because he's practicing it and then he sits back with his teacher and his teacher's like, wow, what are you doing, you know? How are you doing this? And he's like, well, I've got this crazy Australian at work who just talks way too fast. I just have to understand him. I can see what your legacy is going to be in all this, Nils. It's going to be Poland's going to have 200 Domino's Pizza franchisees with delivery drivers who all speak English with an Aussie accent. (laughs) Exactly right. Exactly right. Exactly right. Most of the Polish people in this country speak English better than we do. So it's like... Exactly. When we met about a year ago, you know, it's just everybody, you know, well, everybody in Warsaw, I'm sure it's different outside Warsaw, but everybody in Warsaw, I mean, they're just, their English was great. Absolutely, absolutely, yeah. yeah. It's hard to learn the local language like, oh, yeah. In, uh, yeah. because, you know, I really try and then so I'm down at the supermarket and I'll start speaking in Croatian or Polish and, you know, because I've got the accent, I think, okay. So then they start speaking Croatian or Polish back to me and I'm like, oh, no, <laughs> I only know the first bit. And then as soon as I turn back into English, 
bang, they just speak English and they yeah. want to speak English. So why did why didn't you speak opportunity... English to start with? Yeah, exactly right. So <laughs> so now it's like the opportunity for me to speak these local uh, languages is, is harder and harder because people want to speak English. You know, they're hearing it in the movies, they're watching the Netflix. You know, they want to be able to speak English. So yeah, it's quite funny. <laughs> so Nils, you're clearly a natural entrepreneur and a natural competitor, and You've obviously displayed that from a young age. What advice would you give someone considering going into business for themselves who wants to run their own thing? I mean, for me, biggest advice would be do something that you love and then become the best at it. So whether that's a hobby or a job, be the best at that and then work out how to create a business around that. Obviously, young entrepreneurs come up with an idea and do that, but you're better off just to work wherever you're going to work become the best at that and then create a business around that. So that's probably my biggest advice. And, you know, once you're in business, just be nice, you know. Just treat people how you want to be treated. It's really, really, really simple. Be honest, be fair, be nice, be a man of your word, and it can go a long way. So you need to trust someone that you're going to do business with, and I think that's the secret. I've really enjoyed having the conversation today. Thank you very much for spending the time with us and uh, good luck. I'll be following closely with how things go, as you know. And as I said, thanks again. And hopefully we can catch up again in the not too distant future. That was fantastic. And some really, really good stuff to finish on as well. I thought it was some great comments at the end about the entrepreneurial side of things. So yeah, no, thank you very much. Thanks, guys. That was really good. Nice and easy. Thank you for listening. If you've enjoyed this episode of In the Company of Mavericks, please subscribe at our website, inthecompanyofmavericks.com, where we would appreciate your feedback and any suggestions you might have for future episodes.